Beamer Tire and Auto Repair, now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer Tire and Auto offers full-service auto repair, all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no-appointment-needed Quick Lube Shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamerTire.com. In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Welcome back to Franchise Players. I am your host, Desmond Johnson. We are your home for Triad Sports here at TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Make sure you tune in uh, Thursday and Friday at 7 p.m. We will have state championship high school football games. Mount Tabor taking on Cleveland Thursday night at 7 p.m. And Grimsley taking on Cardinal Gibbons, the 4A final at 7 p.m. on Friday. With us right now, he is the play-by-play voice of the Charlotte Hornets Radio Network, Sam Farber, stopping by. What's going on, Sam? Oh, not much, Desmond. You're speaking my language there with high school football. That was one of my favorites uh, in my previous stop. So lo- love that time of year. I'm glad the kids are getting the opportunity, even if it's a little late. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that we're we're getting through state championship week here at Tobacco Road, and it's uh, May. <laughs> so, you know, this could have flipped back over in like three months. We're going to be doing this all over again uh, in the fall. But can't complain considering where we were at this time uh, last year. Uh, it's been it's been great to have all this stuff kind of going on at the same time. Um, I know let's start off with some Hornets news here. I know a lot of Hornets fans are curious about it. Uh, we talked a little bit about it off the air. Uh, I know you don't really have much of an update on the status of Miles Bridges, our uh, young forward who is now in the NBA safety and protocols thing, which is basically code word for something related to COVID. So he's out for at least 10 to 14 days, I believe, uh, the last time I checked. Does that mean Bridges is going to be out for the rest of the regular season? Well, there's no way to know for sure. You know, they, they say it's going into the protocols and not a positive test by design. We're not supposed to know, um, you know, maybe at some point, um, you know, the team or Miles could in theory make a statement, but no one has to. Um, I think, you know, you, you just kind of assume that they will be out for that period of time. And quite frankly, we all wish the best for Miles. You know, this is still a, a pandemic. This is still a very deadly disease that has uh, sadly taken way, way too many lives of uh, people here at home in North Carolina and all over the country and all over the world. So, um, you know, we've heard from other players who have contracted the virus at different times and how much longer and more impactful than maybe they had thought it would be, it ended up being. So we're all rooting for miles right now. Safety and health is the most important thing in our lives. We've all learned that the hard way this year. And uh, he's got he's got young kids. I'm just rooting for all the best for him. I'm actually kind of surprised. This thought really just popped in my head. I guess the NBA doesn't have uh, some sort of uniform vaccination type thing for all the teams. Is it like left up to the teams or the players to do that? Or, uh, or is there something coming down the pipeline from the NBA and I just haven't been made aware of it? It doesn't seem like there's a uniform league vaccination rule but maybe there should be there is not a rule um you know people have come to their own conclusions on on you know whether or not to get the vaccine 
uh, speaking purely for myself, I've gotten the vaccine. Everyone in my family has gotten the vaccine. We feel great. We feel uh, happy to be able to get back closer to uh, our everyday lives. Uh, but that's not to say that people shouldn't, you know, do their due diligence and consult with their healthcare provider for what's best for them. Um, but that said, no, there is not any uniform policy for the league. I know that certain, or I've heard that certain teams, if you reach a certain threshold for how many players or staff members are vaccinated, there might be a lessening of certain protocols in terms of, um, you know, different things uh, involving COVID-19. Um, but, but there is no mandate. Everyone must get the vaccine every, you know, that that's, it'd be the equivalent of saying everyone must take the following supplements, you know, it, it, right. it's, it's <laughs> um, so let's get into some basketball, but for, well, really before we get into the basketball part of everything, of course, the Hornets uh, over the past, really the past three or four weeks have been kind of a walking mash unit. Uh, it's been kind of cool to watch them kind of tread water while all this is going on. And some of the younger kids have gotten a chance to play while they're in the middle of hunting for a playoff bid. Uh, maybe uh, can you give us some updates on some of these injuries here? Starting off with, uh, of course, the biggest one, Gordon Hayward. Last I saw, he is actually out of his walking boot. Any uh, any indication on when Hayward might be able to rejoin the lineup? No timeline's been given, but you know that first big step has been taken in terms of, as you referenced, being out of the walking boot and you know not having access to practices like we might ordinarily have. It's hard to really see, you know, how much more vigorous our practices. Uh, from one day to the next. But that is a big visual sign that he's at least trending in the right direction. No one has given any indication, though, whether or not he'll be able to make it back in time for the end of the regular season or play-in or postseason, whatever the case may be. Um, I just know it's impossible to play in a walking boot. So he's one step closer than he was uh, a couple of days ago. <laughs> that is very true. And uh, I um, you're absolutely right. With uh, I think the Hornets only have, what, like seven games left, I think, in the regular season. Uh we're going to we're going to talk about that play in tournament and how those pieces kind of go together here in just a bit. Uh, going through the injuries some more here with Sam Farber, uh, play by play announcer for the Charlotte Hornets radio network. Uh, I do. I do see that the Hornets updated Cody Martin. Well, not updated. He's been ruled out for uh, tonight's game against the Bulls, Thursday night's game against the Bulls uh, with an ankle. I do see Devontae Graham is still laying, uh, sitting at day to day. Uh, with that knee injury, it looks like he's expected to remain out for Thursday's game against the Bulls as well. Um, talk to me a little bit about the absence of Devontae Graham, because I know that a lot of fans and uh, outsiders who began to notice the Hornets this year because of, you know, they became more popular nationally with the uh, addition of LaMelo Ball uh, may not have understood the importance of Devontae Graham and his growth with this Hornets franchise over the past two seasons. How hard has it been for them to really keep offensive rhythm without Graham? Uh, coming off the bench or starting at times alongside Ball and uh, Terry Rozier? Well, it, it's a huge absence because he has such great versatility. He can either you know run the offense as either the starting or backup point guard, depending on who else is available at any given time. And he's capable of playing off the ball. And he is you know quite the shooter, as we've all learned uh, over the last two seasons. So it's a significant absence for this team. you know. And uh, Malik Monk is still working his way back from his own injury uh, and as we saw in the win over Detroit, you know, it, it's not 100% just yet for Malik. So uh, being without both of them potentially, or, or sorry, being without Devontae potentially for Chicago and maybe not having Malik uh, at 100% in terms of, you know, the form he was in before the injury happened, uh, that's a lot to overcome. Look, LaMelo Ball had a spectacular game on Tuesday against Detroit. It, it was 
marvelous. I, I cannot speak highly enough, but this is a bad Pistons team that is resting a lot of players. They're very shorthanded. They're very much injured as well. And the Hornets had to go down to the wire to beat him, uh, beat them. And that's in large part due to all the other absences. So that's not to say they can't get a W over Chicago with uh, the guys that they went out there in Detroit with. Um, but it, it, it does say it would be a lot easier if they can get some more healthy bodies back. Follow Sam on Twitter at Sam Farber Live. So after that, uh, that huge win versus Detroit and LaMelo did show up uh, big, especially in the fourth, uh, the Hornets sitting at 32 and 33. Uh, they're in the eighth seed right now. Uh, you mentioned LaMelo. Uh, he returned last week after his injury and went right back to the starting lineup, had that huge fourth quarter Tuesday night to lead the Hornets to the win. Is there any reason in your mind, or really should there be any reason in anyone's mind at that at this point that's an NBA fan, why LaMelo should not be rookie of the year? Well, I, I have been quite uh, perplexed at times by the NBA rookie ladder, which is not exactly an official, you know, this is how they're ranked right now. This is just, you know, one writer's opinion, but it's still right. got me hot and bothered throughout the season. <laughs> um, but the latest one put him in second. And while I don't agree with that, I don't have a major problem with it, specifically because Anthony Edwards is leading all rookies in points. He's doing it in points per game. Uh, he's done it throughout the year. It's not a, a byproduct of him just flat out having played more games, which he has, than LaMelo. It's the fact that he's averaged more points. And you can get into the fact that the Hornets have been a contending team and LaMelo has been a big part of that. And the Timberwolves have not been a contending team. And therefore, Edwards has not impacted winning right away. And I think that's a valid argument when I make myself. But this does not usually typically end up being a which rookie plays the most on the winningest team award. It's who scores the most more often than not. So with that in mind, I think there's still a little bit more work to be done for LaMelo. I think if he can get within two points per game of Anthony Edwards and scoring, or if the Hornets get lucky here and can get up into the top six position, then I think it's a no doubter. But as things sit right now, I don't agree with it, but I would understand if some voters gave it to Edwards instead. I, I, me personally, I think it would be chaos if Anthony Edwards wins this. Considering Lamelo's on Sports Center's top ten, like every other day, it feels like he uh, filled it up on that Detroit game with a couple of pretty much full court passes, uh, looking like a quarterback out there. Um, so, and, and and I know it basically came down to like him, uh, Edwards, Halliburton. Wiseman got injured. So it's really a small field that they're they're picking from. It's kind of whittled down to Edwards and LaMelo. And I feel like if LaMelo hadn't gotten injured, he would be the clear-cut favorite. But uh, again, they've got about 10 days or so to kind of uh, cement uh, who's going to get that. S- staying on ball for just a second, Sam, what's the one quality you've noticed calling these games with LaMelo ball in them this season with Charlotte that has transformed the Hornets into must-see TV. If you had to nail down one trait that this kid has that just makes him different than everyone else, what would you say that is? Well, it's something that I got punished for in his first game back, and that is you can't look down. You can't look away. He, you know, he, he is liable to make any pass at any time to any point on the floor from any other point on the floor. He is fearless out there, and he is just incredibly, incredibly accurate. Um, and it's a byproduct, you know, directly or indirectly of the way they played in high school. Uh, Chino Hills High School, his first two years uh, you know, in high school, he spent there before he started to travel the world uh, playing professionally. But, you know, their style of basketball was, you know, full court passes all the time. Send, you know, ball goes up for the other team for a shot. Someone's leaking out 
two guys are leaking out. Uh, you know, they did this stuff all the time. And that's not to say that it's a great way to play basketball at the NBA level uh, with those kinds of risks being taken all around. But it does mean that when LaMelo sees an opportunity to do a full court baseball, football style pass, whatever you want to call it, it's not the first time he's done it. He's got a lot of muscle memory built up with this. And so, you know, I think they're not risks for risks sake. It's not something he's just trying out now. This is something he's done his whole life. And uh, he is unique in that regard. Cause I don't think most, I know most high school programs do not teach that way, that style of play. Um, and Lomelo just has the physical and uh, mental gifts to be able to see the floor in a way very few players ever have. Yeah, it's crazy that he, he looks so comfortable. You know, sometimes you forget he's a rookie and his age when you watch him play. It's almost like uh, head coach James Borrego after, you know, kind of holding him back a little bit the first like month or so of the season kind of realized, OK, he's actually mature enough to handle this and kind of threw him into the fire. And from everything I've seen, he's handled everything exceptionally well. I, I wanted LaMelo before it was cool to want LaMelo. You know, like I, I thought he was the guy that would be perfect for Charlotte because I felt like Charlotte had pieces, but they they were kind of a franchise that needed a, a, a transcendent star. They needed someone that had the ability to have a higher ceiling than no knock on them, Devontae Graham or Terry Rozier. Like someone that just kind of had that extra gear that makes uh, – casual fans take notice of a certain team. And I felt like LaMelo had that gift with him and we're starting to see some of that now. Uh, we're losing it all year. Uh, Sam Farber here on the line with us here on franchise players, play by play guy for the Charlotte Hornets radio network. The, the Hornets are currently in the eighth seed uh, excusing the play in tourney. Well, actually, you know what? Let's talk about this play in tourney for a second. I'm sure by now you've heard LeBron James's comments on the play in tourney and, Whoever brought it up should be fired. Although I find it funny that literally six months ago he was praising the play in tourney, <laughs> saying that Portland and some other guys in the in the West would get an extra chance to play back when they're in the in the bubble in Orlando. What are your thoughts on the play in tourney? Because it is a little I don't want to call it wacky. I kind of like it uh, in terms of what it potentially could be. What are your what are your thoughts on this play in tournament? And what have you gathered from the Hornets? Because they have not been to the playoffs in quite some time. And even a play-in game is a step forward for this franchise as opposed to, you know, sitting at home and watching again. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I have been on record. I, I like it. I like it as a concept. I like what it brings in terms of competitiveness, not just for teams that are between, say, 12 and 9 trying to get into the postseason, but also for the entire way up the ladder. Um, I think it just increases the competitiveness, and I do understand – We've heard some Hornets come out and say that, you know, they don't really love the idea of the fact that they could earn the eighth seed through this entire season, all the adversity, all the injuries, and then be told, well, now you have to win another game or else you can't play in the playoffs. Mm. I, I, I understand that mindset. I agree with it. Um, but generally speaking, I like it. I think it is a good thing to force teams to compete. And I think franchises and fan bases will not be forgiving of a franchise who's sitting in say 11th with three weeks left in the season, they're within striking distance of making the play in tournament and they start to tank. I don't think Fran, uh, you know, that, that is what we're trying to avoid. There are fewer and fewer teams now uh, that are out of it and they're becoming out of it later and later because there's more, more play in spots and more playoff spots. I also like the fact that there's always something to play for. It's meaningful 
to be 10th versus 11th because you're in the playing tournament or you're not. It's meaningful to be 9th versus 10th because you host that playing game. It's meaningful to be 8th versus 9th because the 8th place team only has to win one game versus the 9th place team has to win two. It's meaningful to be 7th versus 8th because now you get to host both those play-in games. It's meaningful to be 6th versus 7th because now you're <laughs> into the playoffs versus you have to play your way in and on and on and on up yeah. the ladder. Whereas before, the only things that were really competitive for, to be honest, are the number one, two, and three spots, maybe. You want to be top two so you can host more games in the postseason. So that was competitive. And four versus five because mm -hmm. you want to be home court advantage versus not. And then eight and nine. And everything else didn't matter. So now six versus seven matters. <laughs> and that's something that was different from a year ago. So I personally like it. I will promise you to – feel very conflicted about changing my mind if the Hornets end up in eighth and, <laughs> and feeling like they should get there already. But I do like it as a concept. It's crazy too, because I didn't really even think about it until LeBron's comments, but it's almost like the, the matchups that the world would want to see are kind of in the playing tournament area. Cause like over on the West in the Western conference, if someone told me at the beginning of the year, that by the end of the year, we might have a situation where LeBron, AD, and the Lakers have to go play Steph Curry in a winner-take-all <laughs> game. The winner moves on to the playoffs or whatever. I would have said, sign me up. And not only sign me up, I would I would assume the NBA would be like, yes, that's what we want. We don't want you know LeBron at the top waiting and mowing through everybody. Let's put LeBron in a little pressure pack situation where they got to take on the hottest shooter in NBA history right now, Steph Curry, scaring everyone to death. Like, I wouldn't want to be in a situation where I have to play that Golden State team once to determine my playoff fate with Steph playing the way he's playing. Over on the other side in the East with us, it's kind of the same thing because there's certain teams like the Hornets are have become must-see TV uh, in the NBA. You've got Miami kind of sitting there. you got the Celtics sitting there. you got the Pacers sitting there. It just it feels like there's going to be a lot of excitement around the play-in uh, area. So which top East team, let's let's say the Hornets made it out of the, the play-in well, tournament. Well, real quick, Desmond, just to, to piggyback on that, the, the other element of this is how many eight seeds really beat the one seed? Right. I think it's only happened like, what, once or twice in NBA history? It's if only I'm not happened saying. maybe a handful of times, yeah. even fewer times since they've gone to a seven-game series. Now, that's not to say that the Hornets don't have a chance if they're the eighth seed and they get in or that, you know, if the Golden State Warriors are the eighth seed and they get in, that they I'm not saying that. But I am saying, historically speaking, the eighth seed is a huge underdog. So this gives even more of something to play for because you're winning something. Mm -hmm. uh, and you get to have, for a lot of young teams, like the Hornets are a really young team. Getting playoff experience matters. Getting winning successful playoff experience matters. So I would argue if the Hornets win a play-in series, that's more valuable even if they were to be swept in the opening round, which I don't think they would be, mm -hmm. but versus the alternative, which is, hey, you earn the AT, good job. Now you go in and, and you get swept anyways. You know, there's a little less postseason success if yeah. you win. I think there's more postseason success to be had from the play-in tournament. So that's that's a factor for young teams, and it's just overall more entertaining. I, I get LeBron's point. I really do. And LeBron's a unique circumstance because they've dealt with so many injuries over there that if I were him being the defending champs, I would feel confident as an eight seed that we can beat anyone if we're healthy. We, we can make this run happen. Why should we have to play the extra game? 
but most of the time, the eight seed is not a recovering Lakers defending yeah. championship squad. <laughs> right. LeBron and AD. That's just usually not the case. And I would think that they might just sit him longer. I know they're sitting him for this back to back, but he might sit even longer with the, the, uh, if they get to a point where it looks like they're just going to be in that plan somewhere in that area, they might just rest him for that and then let him go from there. But uh, real quick before I let you go, Sam, over on our side, is there a, a top team in the East that would not want to see those Hornets come out of the play-in tournament? 76ers, Nets, any one of those teams match up funny with the with the Hornets when they're fully healthy? You know, the the ones that come to mind, I think I think Brooklyn would be a really interesting matchup because even with all of the firepower they have, the Hornets' ability to play team basketball and the fact that, you know, DeAndre Jordan is a spectacular player. He's one of my all-time favorite players and people. I love him. Hmm. But he is not the kind of dominant big man force that Joel Embiid is or that Giannis and uh, even Lopez can be for Milwaukee. So it it it's hard to say like, hey, I'd, I think it'd be better to go play Kevin Durant, James Harden, <laughs> Kyrie Irving than anybody else. But I think no matter what, it will be an interesting matchup. It will be great experience for the Hornets and something to build on. This is an incredibly young team. I saw a stat. The Hornets have the most percentage of games played, or sec- sorry, second most percentage of games played by players in their first, second, or third years of any team in the NBA. The teams wow. booking them were Oklahoma City and Minnesota, who are bad teams. They're yeah. not going anywhere. So the fact that the Hornets are having success now, as young and as inexperienced, relatively speaking, as they are, is only going to project better for the future as they continue to get healthier, as they continue to get you know, mature physically and mentally within the game. Uh, the best is yet to come. So take bring on whatever experience the Hornets can get. The more, the merrier, the more, the better. And uh, hopefully uh, it, it's a good long run for the Hornets for as long as they can make it. I'm excited. It's been a, a, a long time since I've been this excited about a Hornets team this late in the year. Uh, everything you just touched on about their youth makes me even more excited. The future is super bright for these Hornets, but it ain't over. The season's not done. They're fighting. And uh, who knows? Uh, you know, by the time I talk to you again, Sam, we might have a whole different situation. Maybe the Hornets went on a streak and got out of play in tournament entirely. So we'll we'll see what happens. We've got our fingers crossed and hopefully they can keep the season going as long as they can. Uh, appreciate you, as always, for coming on Franchise Player, Sam. My pleasure. Thanks, Desmond. That's Sam Farber from the Charlotte Hornets Radio Network. Follow him on Twitter at Sam Farber Live. Coming up next, high school huddle. We've got two area teams fighting for state championships Thursday night and Friday night in Chapel Hill. Grimsley taking on Cardinal Gimmins. Mount Tabor taking on Cleveland. Joe Serrera from the Greensboro News and Record and Winston-Salem Journal. And East Forsyth head coach Todd Willard will join me next on Franchise Players. In professional sports. A franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future.
Welcome back to Franchise Players. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson. The North Carolina High School Athletic Association State Championships in Football kick off tonight at, uh, in Chapel Hill at Keenan Stadium and in uh, Raleigh over on the campus of North Carolina State University. On uh, Thursday night, we will have here at 7 p.m. with Ryan Stone and Rod Funderburk. Uh, the Mount Tabor Spartans have never won a state championship in school history in football. They'll be taking on uh, Cleveland, the Rams of Cleveland, both teams undefeated in that matchup. And then on Friday night, we will have at 7 p.m. Uh, the Grimsley Whirlies taking on the Cardinal Gibbons Crusaders, both of those teams undefeated uh, in conference play. That's the 4A state championship. That's at 7 p.m. at Keenan. And we'll have both of those games on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Joining me right now. Uh, Joe Cerrera from the Greensboro News and Record and Winston-Salem Journal. And the last man to beat the Grimsley Whirlies and Cardinal Gibbons Crusaders, head coach Todd Willard from the East Forsyth Fighting Eagles. Gentlemen, what's going on? Hey. Hey, man. Great to be here, Des. So I, I went and asked Coach Willard to come in because of that fact. I realized earlier today that uh, both Cardinal Gibbons and Grimsley are undefeated. And the last time both teams had lost a game was last year uh, in the playoffs to East Forsyth. So I wanted to get Coach on to get his insight for both of those teams. But let's start off over uh, on the other side of the triad in Winston-Salem. Uh, me and Joe were sitting in the press box together watching an epic game between Mount Tabor and Dudley uh, last Friday that Mount Tabor emerged victorious from. Joe, what were your thoughts on that game? Uh, you predicted the score to me literally about an hour before the kickoff. And uh, <laughs> about five minutes to go in the game, it was the score you predicted. And I took a shot of it and posted it on Twitter. And the score stood uh, with Mount Tabor winning 24 to 20. What made you feel like Tabor was going to emerge out of that game? Um, I thought that special teams would play a role. I, when I predicted a 24-20 score, I said, Tabor's going to kick a field goal at some point. They've got two very good kickers, and Elliot Trin being the more experienced one, crushed a 48-yarder. I mean, that thing had yes, another 10 yards. So yeah. he, tail, he had a tailwind, a nice breeze behind him, but he crushed that, and I just felt like they were going to put Dudley in a position where Dudley would make a mistake offensively, and they did. They, they threw an interception uh, late in the game in Tabor territory with about a minute to go, and I, it just it just felt like Tabor's defense was going to get the job done once again, and they've owned Dudley. I mean, that's the bottom line. It's it's six in a row now over Dudley, and yeah. you know, very few teams have done that, but they have Dudley figured out. And, and uh, now with Tabor moving over to the Conference of Death next year, the Central Piedmont Conference, uh, that rivalry kind of goes away for at least a couple of years. Um, they'll be entering your conference, Coach Willard. Uh, this Mount Tabor team, I know that you uh, were doing the North Carolina Coaches Roadshow with uh, our friend Logan over at Game of Inches before the season began. And one of the coaches you went to go talk to was Tashawn Brown over at uh, at Mount Tabor. Tell me a little bit about uh, Coach Brown, who we'll have on a little bit later this week, and, and your thoughts about the Mount Tabor program in general, because you you and your team, you've had some run-ins with these Spartans over the years. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Coach Brown, uh, Ty's probably one of the most respected coaches around this area. And I, when we did the show, I really got to know him more as a person. And, and a lot of people who watch the show really got to see what a wonderful guy he is. Uh, you, you guys deal with us uh, egotistic head coaches a lot, you know. So, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we got our little issues, but Ty, I really do. I kind of put him outside that box. He's Everybody likes Ty. They, they really do. I mean, everybody cheers for him. 
And I think last uh, week on the show, I said their defense, man, is just the real deal. And, and it, it's hard to beat that defense. And I'm just happy for Ty. I hope he can go win it um, because then he's going to enter uh, our conference and then I can't like him too much. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the last thing we need coming into the CPC. Uh, another state champion uh, floating yeah. around in there. Um, but they've got an excellent shot to do so. Uh, Joe, tell, tell the tribe a little about these Cleveland Rams uh, from what you know. Because I'm looking through. Uh, the NCHSAA uh, sent over our press packets. I'm kind of looking through. Um, it's really nice. It's the defensive starters and offensive starters, that what they won over the year and everything. I'm not seeing a whole lot of kids pop out for Cleveland other than uh, some guys on their defense, on their defensive front that made all conference multiple times. But uh, what should what should we and Mount Tabor fans be expecting about this Cleveland Rams team when they lock horns with uh, Mount Tabor on a, on a Thursday night? Well, it, it, there may not be one individual guy who jumps out, but they are a very, very good offensive team. Uh, they A lot like a lot of teams these days, they run a lot of one-back stuff, a lot of spread stuff. Uh, they they move the ball through, the, unlike some of the spread teams, they are equally good on the ground and in the air. 210 yards a game through the air, 198 yards on the ground. Uh, they score a lot of points. The quarterback, Skylar Locklear, is the reason for that. Uh, talking to uh, Tyshawn earlier this week, he said that kid uh, is a really, really true dual threat guy. He can beat you with his arm. Uh, he can beat you with his feet. I mean, uh, almost 400 yards and nine TDs rushing, 20 passing touchdowns, uh, almost 2,100 yards through the air. They, they are a really, really good offensive team. And that, that to me, is, is the, the cool thing and the interesting thing about this matchup. You've got Mount Tabor, which we know has one of the best defenses in the state, guys that fly around. They don't make mistakes very often defensively. And you're going up against one of the better offensive teams in the state in Cleveland. And they've got a number of different guys who can hurt you. The scary thing about Cleveland is their best player, their marquee guy, uh, Omari and Hampton running back, he got hurt in the fifth game yeah. of the season. He's considered possibly the number one running back in the country oh, in wow. the class of, of 2022. I mean, he's he's got, uh, I think, Saturday or Sunday, he's going to Auburn on an official visit. He, he's going to Alabama on an official visit. He's going to Clemson on an official visit. He's a monster. If they had him with everything else they that they have, Boy, they, that would be a really scary prospect. And he's only a junior. He's going to be back. The quarterback, Skylar Locklear, is going to be back. You know, they're they're going to be a real threat next year as well. But they can really move the ball offensively. I think defensively, I, I don't think they're as strong as Dudley. I think Tabor will be able to move the ball a little bit against them. But, boy, they are tough offensively. And you know, Joe, you touched on something that's become kind of a recurring theme during the spring season. And coach, you probably can relate to this. Uh, it, it feels like the teams that uh, have made it far in this uh, this playoff run weren't affected as much from players leaving from the prior year, but have guys that are like in that junior level that'll be coming back in the fall. So it's almost like you can kind of see the teams that should be good going into the fall. I mean, the fall's three months from now. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, kids are literally, they might as well just hold on to their pads and just put them on a shelf in the bedroom somewhere and then just come on back to youth you had there. How how uh, how important was it this spring season to get those snaps for a lot of the sophomores and the juniors you had in the spring 
And how do you think that's going to roll over into the fall? Well, I think that will help us tremendously at East Forsyth. We don't lose a lot of kids. Um, we, we, you know, defensively lose some uh, seniors. We lose like three offensive linemen. I think that's it. We bring out back the other eight starters on offense. And so, I mean, it was. I'm glad we got in there. We got to play. Our kids are fired up and, and they're working out. I think it's great for the state of North Carolina that we got this in. It was very important to get this in and uh, – you know, it, it will help everybody. You know, the one good thing is maybe we're getting a jump on some of these guys because, you know, they're making the state title, they, they're, they're going to have to take a couple weeks off, I'm sure, and, and all that, so maybe we can get heads up. But interesting fact, I think, too, you think of our conference being the death. I believe Cleveland's moving up to 4A next year, too, so think yeah, of that. Yeah, they are. Yeah, oh, you, so you where are they going? <laughs> their, their, their new conference, them and Clayton, got bumped up into 4A, so – Think yep. of that. You got the the two uh, state uh, guys going in three A that will be in four four A football next year in the state of North wow. Carolina. Watch yeah. out, boy! It it's going to be rough. Oh, and it's, it's, it's going to be just one four A classification. Yeah, four A four double A split. That 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 is going to be absolutely brutal. Who, whoever wins four A next year. Could could probably play FCS football. <laughs> I mean, really? Right? Yeah. I mean, it I mean, will be brutal. <laughs> it's crazy too. Just looking at these teams, and you're absolutely right. Like, uh, I mean, some of these some of these teams are starting to build programs, like, like you got over at East Coach, and I don't see them slowing down over the next three months. Like, it, it feels like a lot of this is going to roll over. So, a lot of you guys are going to see each other again. I think. Uh, in the fall as we get through it. I want to jump over to the 4A state championship. Uh, Cardinal Gibbons, who you're very familiar, well, somewhat familiar with, Coach. You saw him last year in the state championship yep. game, uh, taking on the Grimsley Whirlies, who I know you're very familiar with. You've played them, I believe, six times over the past what, three years or something like that. Yep, Is that what I was, Joe? that's about right. Yeah, yeah, so, that's correct. So starting off with this uh, this matchup here, I, uh, I was very impressed with Cardinal Gibbons last year. Uh, me and Rod Funderburg called that state championship game, and uh, they didn't come out nervous or anything at all. It looked like they were ready to go. Like when they when they came out in the field, and that was a tough game, a back-and-forth matchup, and uh, they had some turnovers, which uh, led to them uh, falling to East Forsyth in that game. And, uh, and plus, there was kind of a level of – uh, we've been here before, you know, like with East. They never really panicked yeah. during that game. Now, now the tables have turned, and it's Cardinal Gibbons who was in that game, and they're the ones that were the runner-ups last year. Grimsley hasn't been in this uh, this position since 2006, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. 2005. 2005. So 2005. And they haven't won time. a state title since 1960 when it was Greensboro Senior High. And Cardinal Gibbons has never won a state title, and the school has been open for over 100 years. Oh my gosh! See, I was yeah. going to ask about that because I they yeah. weren't always they weren't always in 4A. Right? Are, are they even a public school? It feels like they're not a no. public school. No, no, <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. It's, it's it's a parochial. They they. And Charlotte Catholic, uh, Christ the King down in Huntersville, and Bishop McGinnis are the four parochials that play in the NCHSAA. Gotcha. Okay, so uh, they're 9-0, 6-0 in their conference. They're coming out of the Cap 7, um, Cardinal Gibbons. And, of course, uh, Grimsley is in the Metro 4A. They're 9-0, 4-0. Um, talk to me a little bit, both of you guys, about head coach Daryl Brown, who will be on here right after you guys. Um well, actually, be on Friday. What what have you learned from him? Because he took over this Grimsley program in you know five years ago, and to be honest, it, they were kind of I don't want to call them a laughing stock, but they were at the bottom of the barrel really when it came to triad football. And over a period of four years or so, 
he has built the Whirlies into a power. Like, talk to me a little bit about Daryl Brown and what you've seen from him over the past couple of years. I know both you guys have different uh, relationships with Coach Brown. Uh, just talk to me a little bit about what you've seen him do uh, with this program and and uh, why they've become so successful so quickly. Go ahead, well, Todd. I, I, I know, Todd, you've been impressed with the fact that from day one, they wanted to play your guys. He, Coach Brown wanted to see what it what a great program looked like and show his kids what they were going to have to do to get there. And it took them until this year. Now they, you know, they got to regional final last year, heck of a football game. And they're, they're playing the Cardinal Gibbons team that you guys beat. But um, it's, it's one of those things where he came in there with a plan and he didn't seem to deviate from that plan. He knew what, what kind of kids he wanted in his program and you, you don't get to pick and choose your kids, but in terms of the guys he wanted to build around and he has, and the reality of high school football today is kids move around. And if you build it, they will come. Well, he's built it at Grimsley and they've come. Alonzo Barnett moved in in the middle of the 2019, 20 school years, family moved into Grimsley's attendance zone. He's their quarterback. He's been fantastic. Jael Melton, running back, came over with him from Page, did the same thing, came over at the same time. He's been big. Caleb Curtin uh, has been a great defensive back for them, a receiver mm-hmm. at the college level was going on to Elon. He transferred in from Southwest Guilford. But there were a lot of there was a lot of talent there. Travis Shaw, defensive lineman for them. Uh, Stephen Wright, the Raleigh Gibbons coach, I talked to him earlier today, Cardinal Gibbons, he said his team has faced one NFL guy and since he's been there for sure on the defensive line dexter lawrence from clemson and he oh, said yeah. travis travis shaw he said can be as good or better than dexter lawrence he's not there yet but he thinks he can get there they've just they built with defense first like most good programs do and then built it out from there with the offense and the offense this year i think has become more diverse than it was last year they've got a great group of receivers they've got a good running back in melton and Chris Ellis was a really good quarterback last year, but Alonzo Barnett gives them a different element in the passing game and and just makes great decisions. Yeah, I think Barnett might be the best quarterback that I saw this year uh, in this condensed season in the games that we called. Uh, Coach Willard, what what advice would you give? Huh, what advice would you give Cardinal Gibbons <laughs> when it comes to trying to slow down uh, Grimsley's offensive attack? Because I think. For me, I was a little taken aback the first time we saw Grimsley this year that their offense had blossomed out to what it had because I was kind of used to them just going, you know, draw left, draw right pretty much yeah. and, and just feeding it to Quan Nora, and, which wasn't a problem. I mean, dude was like running up 200, 300 yard games when he was getting it. But now it feels like they're more of a balanced attack. What would you do to slow that balanced attack down if you were Cardinal Gibbons? Because I, I did see looking at their roster from what the uh, what the state sent over. They, Cardinal Gibbons is stacked on defense. They've got literally, it looks like almost every starter, except for one, has made all conference in their in their conference. And I, I don't even know if this is possible. This all this this year <laughs> that all these kids make all conference defense this year is the is the defensive starting lineup for the the Cap Seven uh, all conference team. Is it all Cardinal <laughs> Gibbons? Because it kind of looks like it is, except for uh, one defensive back. So he's got the horses. What would you tell them to focus on? Well, I mean, the big thing is I remember playing them and watching film. They're so disciplined. Yeah. It will be a great matchup just with how athletic uh, Grimsley is. But Cardinal Gibbons, is they just don't make mistakes. And when we got – 
when they fumbled and we scoop and scored, that that's one of the few mistakes they made all year. Yep. Uh, the the big thing, you know, just you saw it in the Butler game uh, last week. You got to contain uh, the quarterback because yeah. if you don't contain him, uh, he against us against a lot of teams on third and long might be the most dangerous down for Grimsley or if you're the de- defense because you're 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 guarding all the guys and then all of a sudden you leave a little crease and he takes it 44 yards or 50 yards for a touchdown. You really got to spy him on third and long. I mean, mm. you got to do it because he, he's a the, the quarterback's just a game changer for Grimsley. He kind of their offensive him. line is a little bit still a little bit weak. I, I think yeah. if you're going to go after Grimsley, they're very young on the offensive line. Two sophomores starting, and your your guys your guys Todd did a did a good job on them up front. Made it really tough for them to run and put some pressure on Barnett. And I think that that's a place where Cardinal Gibbons has to really take advantage of it. They've got a, they've got a great defensive lineman, a, a kid named John Carmonico. His twin brother James is their best offensive lineman. But John is just a beast in terms of getting in the backfield. He's about 6'1", 260. It's something like something like thirty tackles for loss for a defensive tackle. I mean, he's in the backfield, and he's a guy that Grimsley is really going to have to worry about disrupting things. You know, it's funny you mentioned that with that third long stuff with Barnett because he kind of reminds me of Russell Wilson a little bit. And it's, he does, it's, yeah. And the way, the way he extends plays, it's not like they're calling run plays for him, but if mm-hmm. he gets a if he gets some heat on him, he's not afraid to just like take off. And uh, and and plus, he extends plays. He extends plays yes. where it's not like he wants to run, but he can run, and he'll he will give you the illusion that he's going to run. And then he'll throw it 30 yards downfield and complete a third and 27 or whatever. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's got that Russell Wilson knack of like, okay, we need 12 yards. It's third down. I'm gonna get us 13. And that's kind of what's kept that Grimsley offense out there. And it keeps them a little bit on their toes there on the other side. Uh, prediction time, gentlemen, are either one of you comfortable giving predictions for either one of this game, either one of these games? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> and now I'm not calling either game. I will be there uh, producing both. So uh, I'll. Uh, well, I gotta. I gotta interview both these coaches. So I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna predict. But you well, guys, go, okay, ahead. go first on both. Are on the. You already Tabor. Go ahead, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I, I. I like Tabor's defense a lot, but I think that um, Dudley Dudley exposed their secondary a few times last Friday night on, on some balls. There were a couple of drops that could have been touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think Cleveland's offense is by far the best that Tabor's seen. I really like Tabor, but I just don't think they're going to be able to score enough points. I think I'd, I'd like Cleveland 28, 24 in that game. Coach. Yeah, I, I, I got it. I got 24 for Tabor. I, I got that. But I really think they're gonna, they're going to slow them down. I'm going to go 24 20, and uh, Mount Tabor is going to bring a title back to Forsyth County. Ooh, I like that. I like that yeah. a lot. Uh, Cardinal Gibbons Grimsley Friday night at seven, the four A uh, final. What you guys got here? I'm going to go Grimsley 21 13. Um, I think I think both of these teams are good. I think it's going to be kind of a a slugfest and. I just think Barnett Barnett is going to make some plays. Barnett, the guy, one guy he reminds me of, not necessarily with the skill set, but in terms of winning, is Todd, your guy, Ty Lyles. He yep. finds it, a way. Yeah, just, yeah he does. They remind me a, a lot way. of each other. Yep. He mm-hmm. finds a way, and I think he will find some way against Cardinal Gibbons to pull that game out. I think Ty it, was more willing to take risks. 
Uh, (laughs) He was way more willing to try. (laughs) He was way more willing to try something down the field. And if it didn't work, he knew he was going to get a chance to get back out there again. Uh, Alonzo feels more uh, maybe controlled at this point of his career in terms of like his, like what he's seeing on the field. Now I I love Tyler. I thought he was a fantastic player. I wish I could have seen him play uh, this year. One more year. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I I can see that. I can see that comparison uh, for sure. uh, Joe, that that's a really good one. Well, what do you got here? uh, Coach Grimsley and Cardinal Gibbons. I'm going to go same scores last year, 24, 21, when we were playing Cardinal Gibbons, but I I got Cardinal Gibbons winning this game just because they've been there. Yeah, um, and they're in the I, same stadium, the same stadium. Same stadium. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's almost like Cardinal Gibbons really only has to go like a couple of miles up the street, it feels like. I mean, they're like right around the corner. And well, they're, they're <laughs> right around the corner from Carter Finley. If this was Carter Finley, they could oh, have a pretty good walk. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I kind of agree with both of you. I, and I'd start off the segment with that with Cardinal Gibbons kind of having the – we've been here before type of uh, feel to it. Although I will say a lot of those kids that had been there before are not there. Uh, they either graduated or went on to uh, divisional schools or whatever it might be. So a lot of those kids that were in Keenan last year against East won't be there, but the coaching staff will be there. And uh, there's enough kids on that squad that were there. So uh, yeah, I kind of have to lean that way too. Um, it almost feels like it's a clash between two teams that have been knocking on the door for a couple yeah. of years. And I, honestly, I'm not really sure which way that game is going to go. I am going to go with Mount Tabor in that uh, that game Thursday night. I just feel like they've just been on this path to this moment this entire year. Like, it doesn't feel like anything's really slowed them down. Uh, even in that Dudley game we were watching, Joe, on Friday night, it kind of felt like Mount Tabor had control of it from the very beginning. That 99-yard uh, kickoff return kind of set the tone. Right. And yeah. from there, and then once the defense has settled in, we knew Mount Tabor had the better defense anyway. So it was kind of like, can they just kind of – hold on it turned into a who has the ball last type of thing and mm-hmm. uh and mount Tabor emerged victorious from it i don't know if they're going to allow 20 points again i was looking back on it that's the most they've allowed in a game all year um before that it was like 13 was the most that they had allowed so they've been running it up uh on a lot well not running it up but they've not allowed a lot of teams a lot of freedom to to do what they normally do so i'm gonna pick mount Tabor and that that mount Tabor cleveland game uh Thursday night. I'm not sure yet about Cardinal Gibbons and Grimsley. Like I, I've seen Grimsley three times now, so I feel like I, I kind of know them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're kind of you're kind of hitting a, a point there, Coach. With the they've been there before, so that that's going to be a good one. I think that might come down to the wire. That one might be one of the closer games uh, over the course of this weekend that we see. I'm a little still frustrated that uh, the 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 state decided to run state championship games on a Thursday night, uh, but. What are you going to do? <laughs> so we're going to have both of those games uh, Thursday and Friday, 7 p.m. here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Ryan Stone and Rod Funderburk will be on the call there. Uh, guys, appreciate you guys being on, and uh, we I will definitely be talking to you soon. Thanks. Always fun. Coming up, more from franchise players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future.
Welcome back to Franchise Players. I'm your host, Dustin Johnson. It is high school state championship week here in the triad. We've got a, a number of teams that are competing for state championships. Uh, so we've been uh, touching base with some of the head coaches in the area. Uh, They're getting their teams prepared. Uh, I'm not going to keep them long because, of course, they are busy, busy guys. But right now on the line, I've got Grimsley Worley's head coach, Daryl Brown, joining the franchise players for the first time. Coach Brown, what's going on, man? How are you doing? I'm fine, Des. How are you? I appreciate you having me on. Pretty good, man. I just want to, first of all, say congratulations to the Whirlies. I know you guys have been knocking on the door for a year or two now, and to, to break through and get to the 4A state championship is a big thing. Uh, first, have you had a chance to catch your breath and look back on the season so far? Uh, what, do, what do you think the biggest improvement's been for your team from early March to now? Yeah, it's been um, it's been crazy. Um, you know, just the whole past year, I guess, everything we've gone through, but uh you know, kind of getting to where we started our season in February with our group. Um, we, we really liked our team a lot. And um, I think we've gotten a little bit better each and every week. Um, you know, and we got the playoffs, and I really feel like the last three weeks in the playoffs when we played our best football, which is what you want to be doing any year, um, but especially this year when um, things have been as crazy as they have and schedule's always been um, changed and you're having to adjust on the fly. So I'm really proud of our kids. and. I've overcome a lot of adversity to get us to where we're at right now. You guys fought a really tough Butler team last week to advance to the state championship game. Um, talk a little bit about, I, I'm sure you've heard it by now, but it's always been this kind of uh, cliche here in the triad that the triad teams weren't as good as the Charlotte teams or the teams out of the triangle. And over the past couple of years, that's been reversed a little bit as the triads really started to uh, put their footprint on a lot of these state championship contests. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that narrative and were your kids even aware of it? Cause that's been a narrative that's been in this triad area really since the, the late eighties, early nineties, uh, back when it was just the four classifications that they're going to go back to in the fall. It was always a, well, they're not as good as West Charlotte or they're not as good as this other Charlotte team. You know what I mean? And that's been flipped over the past three or four years. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. And did, were your kids even aware that that was even out there? Yeah, I don't think our kids were aware of it at all. I mean, they're 16 and 17-year-olds. They're just playing ball, and they're not really worried about where the team comes from or anything like that. But as far as me, you know, I grew up in the in the triad in this area, and it's something I've heard, you know, basically my whole career, even as a player and now as a coach. And you're right. I mean, back in the 80s and 90s, you know, you had West Charlotte and then Independence and early 2000s on that long run. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the, la- the last several years, I mean – Going back to 2011 when Paige knocked Butler and Mallard Creek in back-to-back weeks, I remember that. Um, you know, it was huge for the triad, and how East Price mm-hmm. done some good things over the last couple of years. And, um, you know, there's a lot of really good football teams, a lot of really good coaches, a lot of really good players in the triad. And I think the uh, kind of quality of football that we have here with our teams and coaches and stuff um, is as good as anywhere in the state of North Carolina. Um, so, you know, that was a big win for us, obviously, but – um, there's a lot of great football being played in triad for sure. Your senior wide receiver, Christian uh, Tuta, took a 49-yard pass to the house with 14 seconds left to win that game against Butler on Friday. Coach, describe your emotions before and after that play. Well, before the play, um, you know, we were, our focus was on we had 31, uh, we had about 26 seconds and one timeout, so – we're on the 49-yard line, so we're thinking maybe if we can complete a couple passes, get out of bounds on one of them, use a timeout on the other one, that we'd be in field goal range and have a chance to kick a field goal in. 
and uh, we called the out route over on the sideline. And uh, I trust our kids, you know, and Christian realized that um, he was kind of singled up one-on-one. And he just felt like making a move to the inside that he may have a chance. And he, he told us that after the game, and, and he was right. You know, and I, I'm okay with it because if he would have got tackled, then we had a timeout left to use and we'd have been okay. But, uh, you know, as you saw him going to the end zone, obviously uh, things got crazy and everybody was excited. Um, just the coach's mentality – I was trying to keep our guys back, keep them focused on the next play with the PAT, which I felt like at that point in time was big in case something wild happened in and Butler scored. So we wanted to make sure to convert the PAT. And, you know, you know, as a coach, it ain't never over until there's zeros on the clock. So um, I didn't really kind of get too emotional or too excited until we saw those three zeros up there. Now, you've been uh, on the line with this uh, head coach, Dale Brown, from the Grimsley Whirlies, uh, as the Whirlies uh, take on Cardinal Gibbons Friday night at 7 p.m. on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Uh, you've been the head coach now at Grimsley Coach Brown for five years. Would you say the Butler win was the biggest of your career to date? Um, well, I mean, it's the win that sends us to the state championship. So, yeah, probably so. Um, we've had a lot of really good wins over the last few years. We've had some tough losses, too. So, um, I'm, you know, I don't really necessarily kind of measure one game or whatever, but the fact that we won that game to go to the state championship, I mean, obviously that's a that's a huge win and a monumental win for our team and our school. But for us, the job's not done. You know, we set out to, to win the state championship. And- so uh, on the line here with Coach uh, Daryl Brown from the Grimsley Whirlies here on Franchise Players. Grimsley making their first state championship game appearance since 2005. How's the environment been this week among the players and the students and the faculty on campus, Coach? Yeah, it's been great. Um, we've heard from a lot of alumni, heard from a lot of former players, not only at um, at Grimsley but also at Southern Guilford guys. And I coached several years ago that have been very supportive and um, I'm very close to and have great relationships with. But um, we've heard from, like I said, a lot of our alumni and community members. Our students have been um, great during this whole time. So. Um, the last few days have been really great on campus, and um, we got a great um, support system at our school, and everybody's really behind us, and I think we'll have a great turnout Friday night. Now, we, uh, we, we've we gotten a chance to get to know each other a little bit better over the course of this season, and we joke a lot because you know my affiliation with East Forsyth and, and what I do with those guys over there, and they've been one of uh, the teams in the area that you've played almost more than some pe- some teams in your conference. Uh, me and Coach Willer, we were just on with Joe Serrera earlier, and we realized that uh, you facing Cardinal Gibbons on Friday night, both your programs are eerily attached. The last losses either program had were last season to East Forsyth. How does it good? How good does it feel knowing that now that target has shifted to you, Coach Brown, and the Grimsley Whirlies uh, for the time being in your program in the Triad currently? And what do you think you'll need to do to stay on top of that mountain going forward? Yeah, well, I mean, like I, I mentioned earlier, I'm just I'm really proud of our kids and our coaches and just our program as a whole, where we how we've kind of grown over the last three or four years. Um, you know, our guys have put in a lot of work from our players to coaches and. I mean, it feels good to be where we're at. Um, you know, we're not we're not satisfied. Obviously, um, I think each and every each and every day you're trying to get better, whether it's in season or out of season. But um, as far as like staying on top, I don't feel like we've got there yet because we got to take care of business this week. But um, you know, hopefully we'll get that done, like against a really good Cardinal Gibbons team. And um, then then it's really, especially now, you know, you said every year, but 
really this season it's right back to the drawing board because you're 80 some days away from August one practice and getting ready <laughs> yeah. next season. So, yeah. It's literally like uh, three I mean, months went out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's right back to, to going back to work. And when you get to that point in time, nobody's going to care what you did last season. It's going to be about what you're doing right then. So um, it's always ever changing and we'll be focused on, on that when we get there, but uh, looking forward to this week. Have you um so in terms of Cardinal Gibbons, um I was looking through the roster because the state finally sent out like rosters and defensive starters and all that good stuff late last night. And uh the main thing that jumped out to me, because I did call that Cardinal Gibbons for a game last year, is that a lot of their offense from last year is no longer there. However, their defense, I, I don't know if it's a typo or if I just wasn't paying attention, but it feels like everybody on their defense made all conference uh for Cardinal Gibbons. What 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 have you seen on film? that with Cardinal Gibbons, it stands out the most to you from, from what you've seen so far? Yeah, I mean, their defense is really good. And um, you know, obviously they do have some new faces. We kind of went back into some stuff last year. But the thing that stands out the most to me is they're very disciplined and you do not see them make mistakes. Mm. Um, when you're watching film, you very rarely see a penalty. You, you hardly ever see a turnover. You see guys in the right spots. You don't see anybody getting beat in the secondary. Um, you just see a team that obviously is really well coached, really disciplined, and very sound. And um, when you have teams like that, um, they're not going to beat themselves. So it's a matter of us going out, executing, and making plays. Well, Coach, um, I definitely – I've mentioned this the past couple of weeks. I, I've called a number of Grimsley games this year for Tobacco Road, seeing you guys play against a, a number, a variety of different types of teams. And uh, I feel like you guys have been the most sound team that I've called so far this season. And I feel like you guys have been able to represent the Triad very well uh, against Cardinal Gibbons. That'll be Friday night at 7 p.m. live here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Ryan Stone and Rod Funderburk will have that call. So we will be in Chapel Hill rooting you guys on. Um, and I, I hope that you guys are able to put it all together and bring an, another state championship back to the triad. Yeah, I really appreciate that, and I appreciate all you guys doing. I appreciate you covering us and your support. Absolutely. Uh, that's uh, Coach Daryl Brown from the Grimsley Whirlies, his team going for their first state championship since 1960. I, I wasn't aware uh, Joe Serrera had clued me in back when Grimsley was still called Greensboro High School. So it's been a minute, um, but they, they've they got this. They've got the squad to compete for sure. Take it from me. Should be a really good one on Friday night. Definitely looking forward to seeing Alonzo and the boys get out there and get after it for you. Uh, thanks for coming on Franchise Players, uh, Coach Brown, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking to you again here uh, real early soon. Sounds good, Dan. Hopefully I'll see you Friday. Thank you. Coming up, more from Franchise Players on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com.